Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken in uh, while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went to the town of Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, Also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, rather, to Judah, to the city of David, um, called Bethlehem, because He was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. to her first child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. In the region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their sheep by night. Then an angel of the Lord stooped before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of Great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left, them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go, see, go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, 
which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we hear this Christmas story brought out again, as we do every time this year, for some of us it's a familiar story, for others of us it's new. Both have their own pluses and minuses. We can become familiar with the story to the point of inoculation where it loses its potency to transform our lives. We can let our skepticism or our cynicism speak so loudly that we can't receive what you have to say to us. We approach this story from all sorts of different experiences, from places of joy and hope and optimism and wealth, from places of being overly entertained and just bored, from places of fear or sorrow or anger or grief or addiction or depression. However we find ourselves right now, help us to see that you know us and you see us in all our complexity, all our contradictions. You know us and your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ, which we celebrate today. And so we pray now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our minds to your truth, our hearts to your love, our lives to your grace. And you would send us out to be your very agents of Christmas renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, this is probably my favorite day of the year. Maybe this and Easter are my two favorite days of the year. We go from this service, which by the way includes hot chocolate in the garden courtyard afterward, and then the Nault family gets in the Nault family minivan and we go down to Tijuana to Florence's family's home down there for La Noche Buena. La Noche Buena, the, the great night. Nothing says the birth of Christ like pasole, tamales, fireworks, and tequila with your family, right? It's a good night. But one of the things that always happens when we get down there is I find that there's this kind of shock of entering back into a world where they only speak a language that's not my foreign, my, my home language, my mother tongue. I speak Spanish, I'm conversational in it, but the first, there's that first five minutes and then you warm up after 15 and by an hour, you're just flowing with it. You've, you've learned to enter into this language that's not your own, but it's become your own. 
I want you to have that in mind as you consider the big picture that Scripture presents to us. You actually have a native language. All humanity, all the cosmos, all the world. It says in the beginning, we're created good, and the Lord looked at, created good by a good and beautiful and creative God. And there was what the Bible calls shalom, which is always translated as peace. That's really an under-translation. Because it means nothing less than the absence of conflict, but it means a whole lot more than that. It means right relationship between us and God, where you are immersed in the divine love that you were created for, and you know it. It means right relationship between us and ourselves, psychologically, where you can be comfortable in your own skin, know who you are, and not be afraid. Right relationship with one another, where you can know and be known by other people and not be ashamed or have fear. The way the Bible describes that is being naked and not ashamed. Right relationship with the created world order. We're all creation, the environment, all of that works together in synthesis instead of disintegration. That's your native language. But the story doesn't go on long before we forget it and we learn another language. The language of not trusting God the language of believing that we need to take matters into our own hands, and pretty soon, the whole thing unravels. See, your native language is not fear and anxiety and isolation and hiding and pretending and worrying and violence through your words or through your actions, but we've learned to speak it fluently. And Christmas is about a good God coming back to show us how to live into our true identity and to give us the power to do it. And the whole story of the baby in the manger, of Jesus becoming one of us, what, the, what Scripture calls the incarnation of God, is that God becomes one of us so that we might become one with God. In other words, God does not just send a telegram or a textbook or an instruction manual God becomes one of us and takes on the very human condition. One of the ways we speak of Jesus is as the new king of a new kingdom, but he's an entirely different kind of king. And so in the short time we have here, I was just going to go two hours, if that's okay with everyone. No one has a roast in the oven. It's going to be well done. You're like, Pastor, this sermon better be well done. All right. Let's take a look at the king's timing, the king's royal court and the king's throne. First, the king's timing. See, timing matters for everything. You know this. I experienced this in a small way last week. Remember when the Artemis mission with NASA went up? The, um, the capsule came back down, the Orion capsule. It was going to splash down off of San Diego. Details, details, details. Anyways, a Navy ship went out to pick it up. And I tracked down the time that the USS Portland was coming back into harbor. And I was going to be there to see it. I wanted to see a ship with a spaceship on it. And so I showed up at the right place at the time they told me, and I was an hour and 17 minutes late. I told a retired Navy captain friend who organizes some, used to in his career organize these sorts of movements. He goes, yeah, the Navy doesn't usually like to be very specific about really top secret stuff and, and like important spaceships coming into port. So yeah, they probably tried to mislead. I was like, that makes a lot of sense. That explains everything about that day. Timing matters. So let's look at the timing here. And before we do, I want to recognize that some of you right now are saying, Matt, before we go any further, we have to address the elephant in the room. 
okay? This is talking about angels proclaiming good news to shepherds about a virgin birth and about God becoming a baby, okay? Surely, this is the stuff of legend. This is the stuff of mythology. I mean, really, can you be an educated person in the 21st century and believe these things? To which I say, interesting point, I'm with you. And I find it fascinating that Luke, the gospel writer, who many believe may have been a physician, well-trained and well-learned, actually anticipates this sort of an objection by giving you facts and figures and dates and times. He says, in those days, well, in what days? And here's the point. It's not the stuff of legend. Legends start out like every Star Wars episode. In a time long ago, in a galaxy far away. That's the stuff of legend. But that's not the stuff of the Gospels. Luke begins with, in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Joseph and Mary had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He is giving dates, times, political figures. He's saying, you can go and do the math and check the work. You can believe, you can trust this reportage here. But let's look at the specifics of the time. So all my point is there is, friends who have trouble holding on to this or even accessing it because that inner voice just says, I don't think I can believe these things, I respect that voice. Can you just, for one, for one moment, doubt your doubts on this one? Just put it on the side for a second and listen to what this has to say to you. In those days, Augustus Caesar, now Augustus Caesar was a big deal. Okay? Augustus Caesar was the one who took over after his dad, Julius, his adopted dad, Julius Caesar, was the, the big Caesar. This is around A.D. 31-ish. And what Augustus Caesar did was he decreed that his dad was divine, was a god. What does that make Augustus Caesar? The son of God. Furthermore, Augustus Caesar expanded the republic into an empire by taking over all of the surrounding territories at the point of a spear and declaring that he would bring justice and peace to all the world. We call this the Pax Romana, peace through violence. And so there's something interesting going on here where you have this story of two parallel kingdoms, but one is completely upside down and one is completely right side up. A kingdom that comes by coercion and violence and force in a kingdom that comes from a baby being born vulnerably in a manger, the son of God, the prince of peace. And just hold on logically for a second, because if that is true, it gives me the chills just thinking about it. It means that the all-powerful creator of everything you've ever thought of or seen or experienced was contained in that manger by choice. An omnipotent God giving up power. And it's the beginning of the kingdom of God. So Christmas, it runs the danger of being over-sentimentalized, and that's the safe way to play it. That's the warm way to play it. That will never transform your life. Christmas actually confronts you and asks, who is the king or queen or royalty in your life? Where are your allegiances? What's most important? But it comes with an invitation. It says, all of these other allegiances, whether it is your career or your finance or your prestige or your image or your health, these are good things. But if they become your God or your religion or your royalty, they will fail you. 
Jesus is the only one, when you give your life to him, you find out who you truly are, and when you fail him, he forgives you. One other point of the timing. It says in verse 8 that the shepherds were keeping watch of their flocks by night. The gospel comes in the darkness. The enunciation of this invitation of God becoming one of us does not come to a bunch of relatively well-off, put-together people who just need a little top-off to their already pretty good life. It comes to poor shepherds in the dark who are terrified. What in your life right now feels like darkness? What does you think about the world just feels like overwhelmingly unfixable? I want you to imagine this story coming into those places because that is where God does God's best work. We see it here. And then look at the king's court. The royal court of, I mean, Augustus Caesar would have just laughed about this. The king's court is a bunch of shepherds. And I want you to see all, a lot of the romantic paintings and all that are completely nostalgic. There was a... Um, Another Landic, er, there was a, another painter, his name is escaping me, who painted it probably the best that I've seen, where the shepherds are a bunch of teenage, dirty boys with dirty fingernails, bad haircuts, crooked teeth, and they're getting like pushed into the room by this light behind them. What we know is that they were on the outside of society. They were, they're what the religious establishment would have called ritually unclean because they dealt with a lot of animal processes. These are not religious insiders. This is not the choir. And they're the first ones around Jesus. Now, later we will see the magi, the wise men, the eastern astrologers come and join the court as well. And these were the opposite. These were educated, wealthy, influential, prestigious, sat in the halls of power, and they are there bending the knee to the true king. Do you know what this means? That this good news is for everyone. All. Whether you're a religious person or spiritual but not religious, whether you feel like you're on the inside or on the outside, wealthy or poor, it comes to you now and says, receive this good news. I have a lot more to say about this, but I want you to get to dinner. Let me try one thing on you. The last four weeks, Advent, four weeks before Christmas, the preparation for Christmas, we light these four Advent candles, and as we do, we we repeat the words of the prophet Isaiah, who foretold what it would look like when this king shows up. Now, this is an interesting thing. Luke doesn't mention any animals in the scene. We just kind of have to make it up. We put in donkeys and oxen, sheep, cuddly little cute sheep. We don't know. We don't know what was there. We don't know what wasn't there. But we do know what Isaiah envisioned it would look like. And this is symbol and imagery. But what Isaiah said would happen when this king reigns, said, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. In other words, animals that normally tear each other apart will be resting with each other in peace and joy and feasting. 
What if that was, I, I was texting with my friend, he's a painter in San Francisco, David Starfus, some of the most beautiful paintings I've ever seen. I said, I have an, an idea for your next painting. What if that was the nativity scene of a leopard lying down with a goat and a wolf lying down with a lamb? And in the corner is a sword. You could tell it started out as a Roman sword, but it's been beaten into a plowshare, as Isaiah says, envisioning what it would look like to turn instruments of war into instruments of feasting and gathering and joy. That's the vision. And here's the point. He's a king who's out to restore everything. You individually, us as a community, and the world globally. In fact, all the cosmos, nothing is outside of his reach. And how does he come? The king's throne. Jesus' first throne, as we see, is a manger. That's his first throne. Now, there's another part of Isaiah 1. Maybe we do know some of the animals that were there. Isaiah 1 says, God is speaking to God's people. says, I reared children. I brought them up, but they've rebelled against me. Remember, learned a different language. It's our new fluent language. But they rebelled against me. God says, the ox knows its owner. The donkey knows where its master sleeps. But my people do not understand. So I wonder if there was an ox and a donkey who are gathering around Jesus, and they know who the true king is of the universe is. So maybe they were there. The point is, life is confusing. You lose direction. You know how I know that? Because I talk to you. You know how else I know that? Because I do. What if we were like those early foretelling animals going to the manger, going to the true king to find our direction? And there's kind of a double entendre taking place here. Because the manger, remember, it was the hay, it was the feeding place for the animals. And here's Jesus. So this is the manger that animals would go to when they're hungry to be satiated and quenched and fueled to live life. And here is the king of the world who later would be called the bread of life, the living water, the one that when you're hungry, you should go to him. You're thirsty, you should come to him. And it asks you, underneath all of your striving, and all of your climbing, all of your achieving, all of your worrying, what are you really hungry for? What are you really thirsty for? And he says, come to me, all you who are weary, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Christmas is an invitation for you, whether the first time or the thousandth time, to receive him, to come to him, to let him in. but that's not his only throne. That was his first throne. Jesus came not only to show the way, but to be the way. And all of his teaching, all of his preaching, all of his healing, all of his forgiving, all of it was an, a direct assault on the brokenness of this world, infusing it with healing. Shalom. Ultimately ending up on his final earthly throne, the cross, a wooden throne with a crown of thorns, taking pain and sorrow and sin and death upon himself on the cross, doing something about it, not merely being a good teacher or a wise sage or a great philosopher. He was all of those things. But this is God taking pain and death upon himself. And three days later in the resurrection, showing that he's defeated even death itself. Dealing a death blow to death itself. Friends, do you realize this is why we celebrate Christmas? 
Now we have something to celebrate. Let me just suggest to you a couple ways of responding. We see it here in the scripture. It says, Mary, verse 19, treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. This is a story to be treasured and pondered, to be received. I'd encourage you in the next 24 hours, put something on your calendar, five minutes, treasure and ponder Christmas. It doesn't have to replace the gifts, doesn't have to replace the food. It will make all of that much better because it will have its true place. But let's learn from the shepherds. The shepherds made known what had been told to them about this child. They went out proclaiming the good news. Friends, your life proclaims a story whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or are aware of it or not. If you're not aware of it, that's called a blind spot. Your life proclaims a story. The question is, what story does your life proclaim? And so to receive the light, to be a person of Christmas, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian means to receive that life into our lives and then to reflect it outward into this world. The light of Christ comes to you now. Receive it, reflect it, and celebrate it together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now that you would infuse us with your life and with your light. As we continue to celebrate you and prepare to come to this table, would you, the living bread, the living water, quench our true hunger and true thirst? As we gear up for celebrations, would you press something in deep to our souls that is actually worth celebrating because it neither fades nor spoils? Life with you and life eternal. But it starts now. And so show us and teach us what it looks like to be people of the light, people of Christmas, and give us the courage and the grace to follow you wherever you lead, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.